Welcome to Through the Bible with Dr. Troy Walls. Today's lesson is going to be Overcoming Sinful Habits, Part 2. This is Part 2 of a previous lesson we did on Overcoming Sinful Habits. Last time we talked, I was saying that we did not have to publicly confess our sins in front of a group of people, and I still stand by that. But there was a lady in our church, her name was Donna, brought something to my attention that I ran some research on, which needs to be talked about. Donna said, but don't the Bible say we are to confess our faults one to another? That would be public. Donna was correct. The Bible does say that in the book of James, chapter 5, verse 16. The book of James, chapter 5, verse 16, it says, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. But read those words carefully. It says confess your faults one to another. I want you to look at one to another. In other words, if one Christian was to offend another Christian, we need to make a right, go to that person, and settle the issue without disrupting the church. That would be the Christian thing to do. So Donna was correct. We need to build each other up in the things of the Lord. But we need to distinguish the difference between what I said and what she said. What I said was an entirely different matter. We have besetting sins that we need to have a private conversation with God honestly. That does not need to be public because the public can do nothing about it. In Donna's case, we need to go to one another and make peace and keep peace. That is our duty. But when we confess certain besetting sin before the Lord and only before the Lord, the Bible said we will prosper. We cannot let unconfessed sin continue or God will chastise. Do not ever think that God will slide it under the table and kind of forget about it. Not going to happen. When we confess, he forgives right then and puts it in the sea of forgetfulness. It is as far from the east as from the west. It's gone for all eternity. Can you see the importance of keeping right with not only God but with our fellow Christians? Not only with our fellow Christians, but we also need to be examples to people that are not Christians so they will be attracted to the church. Have you ever thought about this? Why is temptation so attractive? Why does it have such a grip on you? You say, man, I want that. Or I wish I had that. Or I wish I could that. Why is it so attractive? Those bright lights that just appeal to you so strong, they don't let up, do they? Why is that? Why does God allow that? Why does God not do something about it? Now, you have wondered that. I know you have. Guess what? That is blasphemy. But we have wondered that. Why does God not do something about my situation? Have you not ever wondered that? Be honest, you know you have. If the Lord only knew what I'm going through, why should he not know? He is inside of you. He sees it. He feels it. Whatever it is that you're going through, why, you ask, does he not do something about it? Why is it that the Christian life sometimes seems so difficult it's just so hard to do sometimes why is that 
Why do so many Christians fall into sin? Why do so many Christians have their testimonies ruined? They just fall by the wayside. It just does not seem logical that God, our Heavenly Father, would allow that to go on, does it? Why does God allow that? We wonder. Did you know that is a major theological question I used to hear all the time in the soul winning booth? Why does God allow sin? Let me share some things with you that God could do. He could eliminate the devil. Did you know that? He is bigger than the devil. He's stronger than the devil. All he would have to do is speak the word and the devil would cease to exist. That is how he came into being to start with. Spoke the word. You know, if we did not have the devil around, we would have many of the battle won right there, wouldn't we? If it were not for the devil keeping his eye on us, walking about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, and seeing you at the right time and at the right place and at the right moment, saying, I will get him now with his weakness, you would eliminate a lot of temptation right there just by eliminating the devil. Why does God not get rid of him? You know, that is the reason many lost people are not saved. Why does God allow sin? Why does God allow suffering? People in the soul winning booth have asked me that question. They say, a loving God would not allow so many children to die. Always remember, disobedience and sin brings death. As I said before, it can run four generations deep, but we always want to blame it on someone, so why not God? That is what many people do not understand at all, uh, and that is who God is. Why does God allow evil, the devil, and all that business? God could get rid of him if he wanted to. I mean, the very presence of the devil always tips the scale toward evil. He will always be more prone to sin when Satan is there tempting us. It could also be some of his demons. None of us is quite big enough for the devil to waste his time with us. Now, remember, I'm just using this for analogy for my main point that we will reach. So bear with me. But very few people ever get that big. So why does God not just get rid of the devil? Here are some more things God could do. He could dampen our passions. God could make temptation less attractive. He could do that, you know. The day you were saved, God could put in your heart a holy hatred and disgust for whatever besetting sin is we talked about earlier. He did not do that, though. Though he could, he could have made it a lot less attractive for you. Turn with me to the book of James, chapter 1, verse 14. The book of James, chapter 1, verse 14. The Bible says, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Yielding to temptation comes from inside. Temptation may come from the outside. The devil may present a temptation to you, but your yielding to it will be triggered from the inside. You will be, as the Bible says, drawn away to that temptation of your own lust. Why does God not take that out of our heart, that unholy desire for sinful things? Why does he not take that away from us? He could, you know. God could do that. It is what is inside of us that triggers us greed, 
lust of all sorts of wickedness and sin, whatever you want to name it comes from inside of us. We are overcome by those things because we are drawn away of our own lust. The reason we're going to stay in this study a while is because it is, is important to, for us to grow in the Lord. We need to recognize who we are by nature and who God is by spirit. But we can overcome sinful habits if we learn it God's way. Why does God not take that away? Have you ever wondered that? God, why do you not make me not desire that anymore? Why do you not change my desires? I mean, after all, the book of Psalm chapter 39 verse 4 says that God knows how frail we are. I want to read that to you in Psalm chapter 39 verse 4. The Bible says, Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days, what it is that I may know how frail I am. Now I want to read you a verse out of Psalm 103 verse 14. Psalm 103 verse 14. The Bible says, For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. Lord, can you not remember how weak I am? Why do you not do something about this? Why do you not take that away from me? Some of you have prayed that prayer, have you not? We would surely have more victory over sin if God did, did take it away. I mean, if you did not have a desire to do something, you would not likely do it. We say, well, I know what I should do, but I cannot. I have tried. I have asked God to help me, but I failed. Why didn't God answer my prayer? Did you know that you are not the only one with that problem? The great apostle says in Romans chapter 7, verse 15, Romans chapter uh, 7, verse 15, the Bible says, For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. He says, from the inward man, I hate sin, but I find myself doing those very things I hate. That's the way you are. As a Christian, there are some things you hate, but your flesh loves it, and you find yourself doing those things you hate. John Knox, right before he died, he prayed, Now, after many battles, I find nothing in me but vanity and corruption. John Knox was a great man of God. He was a fearless man of God. He told the Queen of Scotland that she was going to go to hell if she did not get out of the Catholic Church. He said, After many battles, I find nothing in me but vanity and corruption. For in quietness I am neglecting and trouble and patient, uh, tending to desperation. Pride and ambition assault me on the one hand, Covetous and malice trouble me on the other. Briefly, O oh Lord, the afflictions, the afflictions of the flesh do almost suppress the operation of the Spirit. Now, this is the way I feel sometimes. I mean, the lust of the flesh oppress the working of God's Spirit in our lives. I want to read you something out of the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verse 17. The book of Galatians, Chapter 5, verse 17. The Bible says, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to another, so that ye cannot do the things that 
you would. The flesh is that old Adamic nature. It, it is what you were before you were saved. Why doesn't God eliminate our Adamic nature? Then you could do the things that you would. The things that you desire to do for God, you cannot because of that flesh. It is a constant battle always going on. He could rearrange our schedules. Many times if your schedule was a little bit different, you would not have been in the place of temptation when, whenever the temptation was going on, would you? You would have been somewhere else when that was going on. God could guide us away from the places of temptation if he wanted to. He could protect us from the circumstances that bring on those temptations. I want to give you some illustrations from the Bible. God could have arranged it to where David went on the roof an hour later and Bathsheba would not have been still out in the front yard. He could have. God could have said, if my servant goes on that roof now, he is going to be enticed. So what I am going to do is make him real sleepy so he'll go to bed. God could have done that, but he did not. Let's consider Achan out of Joshua chapter 7. Achan out of Joshua chapter 7. When Israel was marching around that wall in Jericho, God could have made it so that Achan was in a certain place in the line as the walls fell down and Achan went into the city. He could not have seen the goodly Babylonian gar excuse me, garment and that wedge of gold laying in the street. God could have fixed it so that he never saw it. Then he would have not been have been tempted to take it. God did not do that. God could have kept you from the place you were yesterday when you were tempted, but he did not do that. Look, God is not interested in wind-up robots. He has a purpose for allowing temptation in our lives. We're going to see why that is, and then you will see why there is so much temptation. He could rearrange our schedule, but he does not choose to do that. He is the sovereign God so he could see to it that you do not go where you intend to go or that you do go where you did not intend to go. But he is not going to do that. God does not shield us from circumstances that provoke us to sin. He does not do that. He does not have his children in a bubble no more than you do. He does not raise them in a glass-shielded greenhouse. I want to read you some verses out of the book of Luke chapter 4 out of the book of Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the, into the wilderness, being forty days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing, and when they were ended, he, ended, he afterward hungered. The Spirit of God led Jesus into the place of temptation. God could rearrange your schedule so that you did not end up in the place of temptation. But it may very well be that he has arranged your schedule so you will wind up there. That's what he did for Jesus. I said for Jesus, not to Jesus. Matthew chapter 4 verse 1. Matthew chapter 4 verse 1. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. 
That's pretty plain, isn't it? It says that the Spirit led Jesus in order to be tempted of the devil. Mark 1.11, Mark chapter 1, verse 11. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beast, and the angels ministered unto him. Now this is the same situation as in Matthew. God does not shield us from temptation. Many times he directs our path to cross temptation. This story is the baptism of Jesus just before his 40 days in the wilderness. Immediately when? As soon as this voice from heaven said, You are my beloved son, and he is well pleased in you. But do not think that does not mean that you will not face temptation because immediately it says the spirit driveth him into the wilderness the other verse said it led him into the wilderness here it says the spirit drove jesus into the wilderness and he was there 40 days tempted of satan when you are in the perfect will of god expect temptation because it's going to show up now God does not cause us to sin. He is not the author of sin. He does not tempt us to sin. He will t tempt us in the way the Bible uses the word concerning trying our faith, but he will not tempt us in the way the word is used concerning enticement to evil. It is used in both ways. The context always tells you about uh, what it is talking about. The book of James chapter 1 verse 13 the book of James, chapter 1, verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempted he any man. Jesus was God, was he not? That verse says God cannot be tempted with evil. Those people who talk about Jesus could have sinned if he wanted to. No, he could not. Why? because he was God. It says that God does not tempt anybody. It says, do not say when you are tempted that you are tempted of God. Now, how do you say that? You blame God for the temptation. God, why are you doing this to me? He is not. He does not tempt anyone. He might have led you into the place of where temptation is going on, but he is not doing the tempting. He does not tempt anybody to sin and therefore we cannot blame God for our failures as many Christians do they blame God if God just had not tempted me he did not if God had not done this or done that no 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 God is not the problem we are the problem he has won the victory for us we do not have to yield to sin if we sin it is because of our sinful nature. And we are responsible for it. God does test us. He does allow Satan to tempt us. That is what he did with Job. He allowed Satan to tempt Job in order to test him. Did it ever occur to you that God wants you to know how weak you are? Has that ever occurred to you? You would never know how weak you really are if you did not get into some tight spots. You see, those outward circumstances are not the real problem at all. 
It is, it is not the temptation that is sin. You can be tempted all day long, but nobody and nothing, no thing can cause you to sin. It has to come from within you. I want to read you a book out of the book of a verse out of the book of Proverbs, chapter four, verse twenty-three. Proverbs chapter four, verse twenty-three. The Bible says, "Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. The things of life come from the heart." Proverbs chapter twenty-three, verse seven. Proverbs chapter twenty-three, verse seven. The Bible says, "For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he." They say, well, you are what you eat. No, you are what you think. Your soul is according to what is going on in your heart. He says, as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Out of the heart are the issues of life. As you think in your heart is exactly what you are. You might put on a show for everybody else, so they do not know what you really are. But whatever is in your heart is what you are. Mark chapter 7 verse 20. Mark chapter 7 verse 20. And he said, That which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil, false, adulteries, fornication, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. These things do not come from the outside, but from the inside. There are 13 things there. Utter, utter rebellion against God is what your heart is. So, the temptation or the outward circumstance is not the problem it is what is going on in, in our heart. This is why Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 5. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. If you have a thought in your mind and it is not in line with truth you are to bring that thing into captivity of Christ and replace it with something that is right in other words do not dwell on evil thoughts you will never commit sin until you think about it you know that do you not you will never commit the overt act until it is going on in your heart so that is where the battle takes place, and that is where the victory is either won or lost. I want to ask you one question before I close. Are you 100% sure that you're going to heaven? If you're 99% sure, not going to happen. Did you know the Lord wants you to know that you have eternal life? He said in the book of 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, that you may know that you have eternal life. He wants you to know that. But the way to get there is this right here. You first have to recognize that you're a sinner. Once you recognize you're a sinner, you have to repent of that sin. That means give it up. Give it up. You can repent a thousand times. It won't do you a bit of good until you forsake that sin or give it up. And then God will do exactly what he said he would. 
he said that he would save you or that you would become, as the Bible says, born again. In other words, you would have eternal life. When you, when you believe in the work of the cross, that he went to the grave and after the third day rose from the grave, was resurrected, if you believe that with all your heart and soul, and you accept him into your heart, you you receive what you believe, you, you accept that, you believe that, he will save you. You or you will become you will have eternal life from then on. And guess what? God don't lie. In the book of Titus he says God does not lie. So if you wish to have an eternal life, that's what you have to do to get there. You have to believe and receive. I hope you enjoyed this lesson. Dr. Troy signing off.